you're very successful. You've gotten promoted several times. You have a great job. Your boss loves you. You get the employee awards. Like everything is wonderful. And then we roll in and we're like, hey, what if we completely upended everything about how you communicate, which has formed the basis of everything that you've built your success on for two and a half decades? And they're like, no. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Rodney Evans, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Aaron Dignan. Aloha. We are also very delighted to be joined today by Allie Rail from Slack. Allie is Slack's SVP of Product Management. Allie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. Awesome. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the digital HQ, what it is and how you can build your own. But before that, we will build a check-in round. That's right. We're going to build some understanding about each other and set the tone for the conversation with a check-in question. And this one is super duper serious, courtesy of Rodney Evans herself. What is the best sandwich and why? And I think you can take this anywhere you want to take it. I'm going to kick it to you, Rodney, first, then to me, and then to Allie. Okay, I really love sandwiches so Who much. Doesn't? I mean, I could do a whole podcast episode about <laughs> sandwiches, but I grew up in a small town in Connecticut, and there is a there is a place there that might now be gone, but it was called the Sugar Bowl when I was growing up, and it was like somewhere between a diner and a co- it was like a coffee shop it looked like something out of like a hopper painting and they had the world's best blt like the most platonic ideal of a blt and i think that might be the best sandwich that there is for both nostalgia reasons and also just like sheer quality spectacular and i know i'm hungry mm-hmm. um i'm also going to throw it back to the east coast to represent nice. So there is a small sandwich shop in White Plains, New York, which hey. is among the only reasons that you need to go to White Plains. <laughs> and, and it's called Melt, Melt Sandwich. And they were obsessed with making everything by hand to the point where the restaurant was relatively inefficient. So like they make their own bread, they smoke their own meat, they brine, like the, everything is done there. And what the the net net of it is it takes about 20 minutes to get a sandwich and they only make like 100 sandwiches a day but they are heads and shoulders better than anything else i've ever had anywhere in the world like complete showstoppers i would drive up from new york just to get one if i were in the neighborhood so there you have it Allie, what about you top that if you can uh, i cannot so i've been sitting here for like a minute now and like a <laughs> cold sweat going what is my favorite sandwich and i'm like Thinking about all the sandwiches of the past and how wonderful they've been. So sandwiches are perfect because I love bread and I could just eat bread. But Mm -hmm. then there's other stuff between it. And I'm like, I feel a little bit more virtuous because I'm getting some actual nutrition. So, you know, that thing where there there are those like psychological studies where they put people in a grocery store. And if there are like 20 options, they're less likely to buy something than if there are like four options. We get overwhelmed with choice. So I'm going to bring it back home because I'm overwhelmed with choice of like good sandwiches in the past. (laughs) I'm going to say peanut butter and jelly. Mm. Here's why. Peanut butter, protein, delicious. I always go crunchy. You should get crunchy. It's wonderful. You can do the jelly. You get a little bit of sugar and it's like getting dessert. And then obviously the bread. You get bread. Toast it. Toasted peanut butter and jelly. The peanut butter gets a little oozy. It's wonderful. I love it. Right. Also, 
I mean, of all of the check-in round questions that we've done <laughs> that were like much deeper, yeah. really, the passion behind all of our answers was like a 10 out of 10. Right. 10 Whereas out of when 10. we talked about like our families and like our journeys, we're like, you know what, a three. But like get us talking about like peanut butter and bacon and it's just like, it it's game on. On this the show. stomach, the stomach is the second brain, and it's really uh, it's driving the bus for sure. Yeah, I mean, sandwich content for the win. Yeah, uh, that was really fun. So that's not what we're talking about today. What we're talking about today is the full digital HQ download. And Ali, you are going to be our resident expert here. So let's start by asking you what is a digital HQ, and like, what does that mean philosophically? What does it mean practically? Yeah, that is a super good question because it's like a super weird term. So one thing that we realized at Slack early in the pandemic was work still works. Like we are still getting work done. Uh, Even though we can't go to the office, things are still happening and things are mostly fine. And, you know, we started thinking about the office and like, what is the role of the office? And this kind of gets to your question about philosophically, like, what does it mean to have for like a, a company to have a home? What is a headquarters? And we realized that like our headquarters was much more of a kind of emotional tie for us than a critical tool for executing the business of the company. So any company, regardless of size for the most part, has some form of digital headquarters already. And when I say that, I mean, we all have some underlying mesh of tools that we use to get things done together. The basic substrate that everybody has is email. you know, a lot of companies on top of that layer in getting everybody's phone number and doing text messages. There's Google Docs or, you know, a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet. A lot of people use Trello and on and on and on. So we all have this mesh of tools that actually constitute the place where we get work done because our work is, it's knowledge work. It doesn't exist in reality for a lot of us. It's just, you know, words on a screen. I'll say. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So especially for us, a software company, everything we create is in the virtual space. And I was like, well, all of our work is getting done in the virtual space too. And the place where we are all coming together is in Slack. Actually, Slack is our headquarters. It's not our primary office on 500 Howard Street in San Francisco. It's Mm. this window that we open up every day on our computers. It's this, this window into the mesh of tools that we use to work together to get things done. So that's where the digital headquarters idea came from. It was Slack is our headquarters for, you know, running our company, but our digital headquarters is a more broad kind of expansive view of all of the tools and systems that we use to get things done together. That makes sense. And I think that's true for us too. I mean, the ready has been remote first for years and years, but before the pandemic, we didn't start that way, but, but we became that way eventually. And we, we built the company on Slack, I think. It was the second piece of software I signed up for when we founded it. So the entire history is there. But it does seem like when you're trying to get a pulse of what's going on, that's where we all come to. I think the part of Digital HQ that my mind went to when I first heard the term was more like how it connects to all these other things or how it's some kind of a hub for the work itself versus the social aspect and kind of the headquarters you know, gathering place aspect that you touched on. When this concept came up as a, as a conversation within Slack, first of all, when was that, that you started actually referring to this idea? And then how, how did it weigh across those two things, like the, the gathering place and the, and the touch point versus the kind of 
plumbing essentially that connects all the all the tooling. Yeah, I think we started seeing Slack as our headquarters probably around July 2020. So, you know, beginning of the pandemic, Slack became convenient timing. Yeah, Slack became very popular. Like people just needed us, and so we kind of had to work through that uh, sort of enormous influx of new customers and helping them get on board. And then we got a little bit of time to breathe and kind of evaluate where we were. And I think that Slack as our headquarters evolved around, you know, July 2020. And then from there, we, you know, we played with it and we thought more about once you anchor a new concept, you start playing around with it and seeing how else it fits in. And digital headquarters then evolved over time out of that, which is Slack is our headquarters at Slack. But what about everybody else? What do they have? And then we started looking at the interconnected mesh of tools and how humans interact with one another in digital spaces. And it was kind of like that aha moment where we're like, oh, everybody has a digital headquarters already. Um, mm. They just don't realize it. Or maybe it's maybe it's more of like a collection of, you know, sheds in the backyard than a, you know, properly designed building. So yeah, it's, I don't think there's like one eureka moment where we're like, aha, digital HQ. It was something that really sort of grew for us over time. Got it. That's really cool. I want to ask a question, but it's not fully formed in my head. So <clears throat> also I'm getting over the flu. Oh, so no. I'm, I'm way dumber than usual, just FYI. Um, <laughs> but here's the thing. <laughs> I just tuned out for like three minutes because your first answer, Allie, that now I can't stop thinking about is basically like, this idea that knowledge work by its very nature should happen in digital spaces because that's where knowledge is kept. And like the the parallel to that being that the physical creation of offices originally was a gathering place for, for where physical work was done and mm. things were made. And like, that probably, as someone who's an expert in the future of work, should have been obvious to me before, but it wasn't just till right now. And so I'm really like, I'm really thinking about that. I'm really thinking about how how much in-person legacy co-location mandates is fit for the production of physical product, not knowledge work. And I'm just got a little bit stuck on that in a positive way, where I feel like I really learned something here tonight. Anyway, uh, how does a digital HQ play with a physical office space? Do we need physical office spaces in knowledge work? Tell us. Tell us, um, wise one, what to do. I think we need physical space to get together. Whether that is an office that a company rents for that explicit purpose is, you know, one question. And yeah, at Slack, we don't build anything with our hands that goes out in the world. We just build software that you download onto your phone and your computer. But if we we're building something physical, we would absolutely need a place to like interact with the things that we were building, hand them back and forth, debate the merits of the placement of a button or, you know, solder a wire or whatever you needed to do. We don't mm -hmm. have that need. But a company that does things that exist in the physical world obviously need an office. But if we kind of pull back, when we look at knowledge work and we kind of pull back from anything that gets manufactured to just things that get built, we still need spaces to come together to have conversations and the kind of, um, the kind of conversations that are sometimes maybe annoying where there's a ton of energy, maybe people are interrupting each other. Somebody mm. is like commandeering the whiteboard to be like, here's what's in my brain. Mm -hmm. um, so what we're seeing is, and what I've experienced myself, and it's not just Slack, but kind of industry-wide, 
people want to come together to collaborate. Mm-hmm. There are com- like some conversations are just easier to have in person because they are generative and they are um, kind of almost that improv like where it's yeah. you know, everybody's yes, Andy, and like, oh, I right. hear your idea. And what if we did? And what if we did? And those are just best to have when you can be with people, see their body language. It's always awkward to kind of step on someone's toes on Zoom, but yeah. it can be super like funny or, you know, like it just, it's part of the vibe when you're together. But what we also know is that there's no reason to pull somebody back into an office for them to sit alone at a desk wearing headphones, writing code or writing documents or working on a spreadsheet or whatever for eight hours a day. Like we are not we're not like battery hens who need to lay code eggs every day. We can do that at home in yoga pants. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we can be like free range in our houses. So physical space has its place. That doesn't mean that a company needs to rent an office. Like there are rentable spaces. One thing I think would be interesting is for a company to say like, you know what, we're not going to have an office anymore, but y'all have a $1,000 budget to go rent a meeting space whenever you want for the next six months. Have a great time. And then just like, see what happens. Do they use it? Do they not? I don't know. But, um, you know, the other thing that we've observed with people getting together is that the time needs to be protected. Mm. So it sucks to go into the office for, to meet with people for an hour. If right after that, you have three hours of zoom meetings. Cause then you're Mm -hmm. like, well, then I'm just alone in a room wearing headphones on zoom. It's Mm -hmm. hilarious. Um, so one thing that we have at Slack is no meetings on Friday. You just don't get to schedule them. That's not okay. So Fridays have turned into a great time for people to get together and have these kind of generative, expansive conversations because there's not going to be anything to, you know, pull them out or make, you know, the, the days have fewer boundaries. And so those conversations can actually expand more and it's, you know, fine to, it, it doesn't encroach in the part of your day where you're like, oh man, I really wish I were at home for this. Right. Right. You know, I'm interested just based on that. We've, we've come out of a pure remote pandemic world. And I assume now Slack has its own remote slash hybrid strategy and, and policies in place. How did the way of working at Slack and within your teams have to shift during that pandemic moment and when everything really was digital only? And then what does that look like now? What have you settled into now? Yeah, I have two teams and it's really different for both. So one team is our um, customer experience team, handles all of our customer support, social media, a few other things. That team has always been globally distributed. So it has effectively been a remote team forever. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, several offices around the world. Now people did go into the office every day. And there was a lot of collaboration between people in the office, just, you know, the spin around, tap people on the shoulder. Hey, have you seen this problem before? Mm -hmm. But in terms of like getting the teams to work together, it wasn't very disruptive for everybody to go home because they were already used to having colleagues that were in a different country, different time zone, different office. The other one of my teams is uh, in our product organization. So it's very, very different because product managers love to meet with people. Like that's their entire job, which is like, I'm going to figure out what we need to do with the product. And then I'm going to talk with designers and program managers and engineers, and I'm going to, you know, work with sales. Mm -hmm. And so they love the activity of the office. They love knowing that like, 
if they wait outside of this meeting room at 11.55, they're going to run into the person they want to talk to. So this transition was way, way harder for the product managers because suddenly their superpower, which is like connecting with people in person to get things done, was taken away. Mm. So they had to learn to lean a lot more heavily on Slack. They're the ones whose calendars suddenly got packed with you know, hour after hour after hour of Zooms as they tried to replicate those moments that they had in the office in, you know, the tools that we had available to us at the time. And, you know, honestly, that's one of the reasons that huddles, our um, audio functionality came to be because those, like, the calendar expanding with Zoom meetings because you couldn't just run into anybody in the office anymore it's awful. Like we were all in Zooms all the time and I was like, there has to be a better way. And so huddles came about as a way to just, you know, spin around and tap somebody on the shoulder. So I think that transition was a lot harder for the folks who are, you know, human connectors, you know, the ones who uh, need to actually get people together to get things done, who aren't, you know, automatically in a team doing the same work together. And so what does it look like now, now that you've had a flavor, you know, both of those teams have kind of tasted both spectrums, what's the go forward move um, with the digital HQ and, and the way of working? Yeah. So everybody is still a hundred percent welcome to work remotely and virtually everybody chooses to do so. There are people who love to be in the office and like no judgment there. It's, it's not my jam, but it is some people's <laughs> jam. Like they love to leave their house, go somewhere else, work, leave that place, come back and come home. Like they love the separation. Um, There are people who, you know, don't have a good working space in their house. And they're like, yeah, I can go to the office where I have great internet, a comfortable chair. It's quiet. Like that's fantastic. And we do see teams starting to kind of coalesce around like the one day in the office. So seven people working together, will say like every Wednesday we're going to go into the office my team specifically haven't done that. My team is, both of my teams are much, much more distributed than that. So, um, you know, you see people kind of onesie twosie getting together, but that's kind of how it works. Like small teams deciding to get together. Most people working from home, onesie twosies hanging out. I have some people coming over to my house tomorrow for lunch to talk through some work stuff because it's Friday and we don't have meetings. That's fun. PB and J or? You know, I was thinking proposition chicken. Uh, You can't really go wrong with fried chicken on a Friday. True. Nice. Yeah. Very solid. One of the things that I really wanted to ask you about, I feel like whenever we talk to people from Slack, we get fun, like, insider pro tips about Slack. So... So as as you shifted because of pandemic to re, to this like digital HQ notion and as things have evolved what are some of the things that might not be like stupid stupid obvious about using tooling effectively that mm-hmm. your teams have put into place so like for example when we had Mike Bravora on the show who i believe was our like first guest ever he was the person who was like he was the person who implanted the idea in my brain of like emojis as language and basically codifying what emojis mean in your culture so that people don't have to say shit and i was like that is so fucking smart. So anyway, I'm looking for more nugs like that, Allie. What are, give us some bangers. <laughs> the pro tips. I mean, Mike gave you one of the best bangers of That's all. That's a good one, is, right? It is. Because before emoji reactions, 
you know, you would say like, hey, everybody, I did a great thing. And then you get, you know, a channel filled of people going, good job. Congratulations. (laughs) And he can't be like, shut up. Because they're being really nice. But at the same time, it's like, shut up. The channel's not useful anymore. Um, But I do think kind of pulling on that thread a little bit of channel noise, DMs are okay. There's a lot of stuff that we talk about that doesn't need to be in a channel. You know, the like, hey, I'm going to be five minutes late or the do you have a link to this document or whatever. However, you know, one thing that you could, one thing we can never do in the office that we can do in the digital HQ world is actually have asynchronous conversations. Mm. So one way that I think about Slack is like, once again, let's put ourselves in an office, like a physical office, and it has rooms and floors and very slow elevators and kitchenettes. And imagine that every meeting room is occupied and there's like a sign on the outside of every door telling you what's going on in that room. And in Slack, that's the, you know, that's the equivalent of channels. You can just see like what is going on in this channel here, what's going on in this channel here. Now in, in the real world where you have a body, you can only be in one place at a time and you can't replicate time. Like we don't have time turners. This isn't Harry Potter. So you have to choose, like, what is the most important thing for me to know right now? And everything else, I hope I learn it later if I needed to know it. Mm. With channels, you do get a little bit of that kind of go back in time and like replay the thing you couldn't be at ability. Um, So this is something that like, it's just a way of working that I think people could stand to lean into a little bit more, which is use channels as a way to have conversations that everybody can chime in on when it's best for them. You know, one superpower that it gives me is people can be like, hey, we're going to have a meeting on this thing. Do you need to be there? And I'm like, nah, I caught up in channel already. Like, I'm good. You guys Mm -hmm. know what you're doing. Or conversely, like we had a meeting, we put the notes in channel and I'm like, cool, thanks. I'll catch up. Mm -hmm. Profound time saver. So the, you know, the thing that I kind of want to put a point on here is FOMO. People do have FOMO when they're not invited to meetings, but when you put stuff into a channel where people can see it, that can alleviate that. It's like, I didn't actually miss out on anything except a half hour block on my calendar. And that's pretty rad. So (laughs) just getting all that information out, getting that conversation out and leaning into the fact that doing all of this on a computer untethers us from space and time. Pretty cool. I don't know. I think it's kind of legit. Yeah, that's rad. Tell me about your notification game. Oh. <laughs> so um, on my phone, Slack is not allowed to make a noise. Mm-hmm. It is not allowed to give me a badge. Slack is hidden in a folder because if it's like just present on, you know, that little strip on the bottom or on the, the main screen, yeah. I'm just going to tap it without Same. thinking. It's kind of like, so I do that with Twitter. I'm mm. like, there's Twitter. I need to tap something on my phone. I'm going to tap the Twitter icon. (laughs) And if Slack were front and center, I would do that with Slack as well. So what I do have is when it sends me push notifications, they do show up on my lock screen. (laughs) And so I can glance at my phone and quickly decide like, do I need to deal with that right now or not? And the answer is almost always, no, I don't. And so then turn the phone screen off and go about my life. When I'm at my computer, Slack does not get to make sounds at me. It's often kind of in the background. And again, I'm on Mac, so I have that thing that pops up on the right with all the notifications. I'll see something come up. I'll look at the preview, be like, do I need to do that now? Sometimes. And if so, I'll click on it and pop in and take care of it. And if not, I'm just like, 
okay, I'll deal with that later too, whatever. Sometimes, you know, you're, you're going through Slack and you read something, you're like, I do not have time for that right now. Uh, so I will go through and mark things as unread. So on a Mac, you can hold down option click. And on Windows, it's control click. So just like control click a message and it goes back to that unread state. Mm-hmm. And if you're mentioned in it, like the little red badge is going to show up again. So it's kind of like, come back to this. Right. And so that's another way that I deal with notifications. I'll read it and then be like, oops, I wasn't ready to deal with that yet. I'll mark it as unread and come back to it later. Based on some of those little tips and tricks you just tossed about, excuse me, you just talked about, I have kind of a, a bigger question about onboarding to digital HQs. So is this concept of the digital HQ that Slack represents and uses something that someone can just come in and they don't need to be oriented to what it is or how to use it? Or do you feel like there's an onboarding kind of, you know, deprogramming, learning, training component to getting the most out of these tools? I think that we all have to learn. Like, I do think that there's some sort of onboarding. A lot of it is going to be cultural. So we are, we're social animals. We're going to look around us and see how everybody's behaving. And if we see that, you know, the first thing that everybody does in the morning is send a GIF, we're going to send a GIF. We're going to be mm-hmm. like, oh, like I'm supposed to send a GIF here. This is a GIF place. And conversely, if you're like, if you roll in from another company that was the GIF place and you're like, I don't see any GIFs in the last month, you're like, hesitate. Yeah. Like this is not a GIF place. I guess I'll figure out if I can make it one after I get a little more <laughs> like cultural uh, cachet here. Um, but in terms of working styles, yeah, like, it's, you know, people come to, people come to work for Slack after having used Slack elsewhere. And invariably they're like, I thought I was really good at using Slack, mm. but then I came here ah, and, oh, wow, the varsity. there's so much more. We built it. So obviously we are just like the most hyper power users on the planet. We know everything we built and we know why. And then we just dig into all of our precious little like treasures and use all of them. So anybody who comes to Slack, even if they've used Slack for eight years, they have a lot to learn about using Slack at Slack. Mm-hmm. And the same would go for me going to any other company using Slack. I'd be like, and we've seen that from our employees who have gone elsewhere. They're like, this company uses Slack way differently. So mm-hmm. it can be the same tools. And anybody who does software engineering will be familiar with Jira. Jira is a very flexible tool set for tracking like your bugs and your tasks and everything else that your engineers need to do. Uh, every company configures Jira a little bit differently. So just because you knew Jira at one company doesn't mean you know Jira at the new company. Mm-hmm. Like it works differently. It has different fields, different workflows. So yeah, like all of our companies are special, unique snowflakes. No two are alike and we use our tools differently. I think that's a, a relatively new or new-ish transition in the world of software because there was this period where everything was very rigidly and purpose-built and it was kind of, it did one thing one way and there, there wasn't a lot of configurability. And then we got into the age of Slack and it had 200 integrations out of the box and the notion that was like, do whatever you want. And now I feel like a lot of tools are moving into this world of, you kind of roll your own and then and then you really are building something that's unique to you. So yeah. when you when you interact with customers of Slack, is there a point of view either from this digital HQ lens or just from Slack in general about how to use it, what you know, what how it should be used or is the idea more like figure it out as you go? I would say a little bit of both. 
which is not a good answer. I'm sorry, but that's what it is. We appreciate uh, nuance on the show. It's fine. Um, so on the, like, you know, you do you, sometimes I describe us as like a very Canadian Californian company where the, you know, the Canadian side is like, we wouldn't want to impose on you. Like, you know, we hope that you enjoy using our software, but we understand if you have some problems, no problem. And the Californian side is just like, yeah, man, like find your vibe, you know, follow your bliss, workflow your own stuff. And like, that's not very helpful or prescriptive, but it does give companies an awful lot of room and latitude to say like, you know, Slack built this functionality. I can try to make it work for me. This isn't the fit for my company or this is 100% my jam and we are going all the way in. Mm -hmm. So we have done our best to provide a, you know, opinionated yet entirely flexible set of tools to say like, we don't know your business. We just run a software company over here. Like, you know, your business, build things for your business. But at the same time, there are things that are just everybody can benefit from doing them. And my favorite example, and I'm not going to name the company, but I'll say it. And a lot of people know exactly what I'm talking about. Our enterprise procurement tool. So the thing that you go in to buy stuff. Uh, I, I like to think that I'm not a moron. I hope I'm not. But that tool makes me feel like a complete idiot because I go into it and I'm like, what am I cl-? like? I just I just need to approve a purchase order and I can't figure out how to do it. Mm. And every time I went in there, I was just like, oh, man, it's going to be 10 minutes clicking around and feeling really stupid. <laughs> but what we were able to do with Slack and our platform is whenever a purchase order request came my way, we just whipped up something real quick with the platform to pop that into Slack for me. And there's a big green button that says approve. And yeah. Like, and I nice. click it and I'm like, I am brilliant. I approved a purchase order and like it's done. Um, there is no like no company actually wants their employees to go through that experience of saying like, I have to use this tool as part of getting my job done. And I fundamentally do not understand it. And there's no reason for me to understand it. Mm-hmm. So every company has some of these tools, some of these processes, whatever, where it's like, it's just a little bit too heavy because it wasn't designed for the people using it. Like, I'm sure this tool is wonderful for people who work in procurement. It's just really bad for the rest of us. So how can we like really thoughtfully bring what we call thin work? So just clicking a button, that's not a lot of work. It's a, it's a very thin work. It doesn't require a big UI. What can we do to bring that thin work into Slack so that people can get that, you know, their menial tasks done and then move on with their day. Um, so that's the area where we get a little more prescriptive, which is like, what sucks in your work day? Like, what's your least favorite task? What's your, what are your chores? How do we automate some of those? That's really cool. It feels to me like, you know, even though, even though I appreciate the description of like, you know, the, if, if the vibes are right, you can just do what you want. I also feel like, there are a lot of opinions baked in about mindsets. And I'm curious just, and and I think you've touched on a couple of them already, but like Aaron and I both have done a lot of work with a lot of companies to help them adopt Slack. Usually the challenges have very little to do with the technology and everything to do with human behavior and mindset shifts. And I'm I'm just curious to hear from the sort of other side of the table, Allie, like what are some of the, mindset prereqs that you would love leaders to have as they build their own digital HQ? That is a super good question. I think, so the first one is just like, 
this will be a massive disruptive change for a little bit. Like this isn't, Slack is cute and fun and people are like, yay, emoji, but it's going to be hard. And one of the things that I am most sympathetic to and sensitive to is bringing Slack into organizations of successful people who just use email. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, say you've been in the workforce for two and a half decades and you're very successful. You've gotten promoted several times. You have a great job. Your boss loves you. You get the employee awards. Like everything is wonderful. And then we roll in and we're like, hey, what if we completely upended everything about how you communicate, which has formed the basis of everything that you've built your success on for two and a half decades? And they're like, Mm -hmm. no. Like like hard pass. Take a pass on that. I'm good. I have email. It works just fine for me. And we're like, Yeah. yeah, so the company's moving over and nobody's going to talk to you anymore unless you do too. So yeah. like in every company that moves to Slack, there's going to be a spectrum and you have, you know, the people I just described where it's just like, this is a disruptive change that is not good for them. And then you have people on the opposite end of the spectrum who are like, I have been dying to get Slack into this company for three years and it's finally happening and I'm going to throw a party. And then you have a lot of folks in the middle. Um, so the first challenge is like, you're going to need to bring the team along and it's going to be hard because you have people all over the place and they're, they're, you know, coming to Slack journey. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing that I would think about is, you know, as a leader, I would sort of take a step back and look at my own, my own approach to transparency and openness and my own reaction to like banter. Um, so mm-hmm. one thing that I think can happen, so kind of stepping back to the digital HQ and the remote thing again, um, Leaders lost a lot of, like, a lot of perceived power, I guess. So if you were in the office and you looked around and you saw your team all, you know, looking at their computers and typing into a Google Doc or sitting in meetings and pointing at a chart on on the wall, (laughs) you're like, everybody is being very productive and doing work. Just look at them. Yeah. It's like, like the image search for like office culture. And it's just yeah. like a multicultural group of people looking yeah. at a graph together. <laughs> yeah. So you look around and you're like, my team is successful in getting work done and I feel great. Yeah. We're nailing it. But in reality, like, you don't know that meeting could have been a trash fire where everybody's just like, here's a chart that we could look at to pretend like we're working. Let's talk about the new Taylor Swift album. On the flip side, if everything's happening in Slack, you actually know what's going on. So that mm-hmm. perceived loss of power, people are like, well, I can't see my people to make sure they're busy. It's like, you can't, but you can actually look at their work and see it now. And you can yeah. see whether things are happening and where things are stuck and kind of move forward. So that's another mindset shift that I think, which is like, start looking at outcomes rather than like appearances or presence. And what does it mean to manage a team or lead a team purely on outcomes without sort of any physical, the physical touch points that we were used to? Um, you know, and then kind of once you get through those, those first couple of cultural layers, some of them being like, bring the team along and some of them being like, who are you and what are you uncomfortable with as a leader right now? Just kind of letting the slight messiness of human communication unfold and settle where it may I don't know if the story is apocryphal or not, but you know the story about the university that like, instead of a brand new university, instead of putting down sidewalks, they just let the students walk anywhere for yeah. a semester and then they paved those as the sidewalks. Um, I don't know that story, but I love it already. Yeah. It, the idea would just like, people are going to figure out the paths that they need to take to get between buildings. 
So rather than trying to engineer those and hope that they're correct, like just let the people figure out the right paths and then we'll pave those later. Um, Let the messy communication unfold a little bit. So people are, we're going to be really good at getting together and having the conversations we need to have to get our work done. So rather than trying to control that too much, like just let the people get together. They're going to be smart. They're diligent. Like you have a team of folks who want to do a good job, right? So a lot of, I think as (laughs) a leader, a lot of like reins loosening. That's amazing. I love the emergence of that. And I've heard similar stories about early Disneyland as well with paths. Um, I want to go way back before we go another click forward. And it's related to what you just talked about because it is about adoption. And I'm just curious, you, you know, you're, you're one of the only people that has been around for the entire Slack journey. What was true? What was shipped? What was turned on? in the product when it finally clicked and became this really easy, fun, habitual product for users? Like what was true in Slack one day when you looked up and you're like, whoa, this is really working. What was it like then? We actually hit that moment before release. We had a what we call the preview release. I think most companies would call it a beta, but beta implies that the software is kind of buggy and shitty and <laughs> Slack wasn't. We just didn't know if people were going to use it. And so we're like, preview release, come on in. It's totally functional. And we immediately saw that like once a team of people got up to 2,000 messages, like they would just keep using it. That was just kind of the magic number where it's like they hit 2,000, they're never leaving us. The feature set was relatively minimal at that point. Messages, file uploads, you could put emoji in messages. We didn't have reactions. We had notifications from day one, mobile apps and stuff. But the, you know, we did dig in and figure out like, all right, we have people who have now been coming back and using this product every weekday for four months. And they're telling us that they get value from it. And we see them tweeting and telling other people that they're in this sweet new product that's not released. And like, (laughs) that was mind-blowing. Uh, and it still continues to be, honestly. The the kind of awe doesn't go away. Um, we could all be spending our time doing like literally anything. And to, you know, be, I was in a restaurant a couple days ago and looked over and the guy next to me was using Slack and I'm like, that's bizarre. Oh. Or, oh, Great British Bake Off this season. There's one episode, I think it was episode three, where one of the production assistants left their notifications on on their phone. I personally picked all the notification sounds out of our video game library in 2013 <laughs> and committed them to the code repository. And they had chosen the one that um, is like a bean dropping into a metal plate. Nice. And so I'm watching GBBO and I hear that noise and I'm like, oh my God, GBBO runs on Slack. That's wild. That's so cool. I love That's it. That's amazing. So, Ali, something that comes up a lot on this show is our belief that orgs should be people positive. And what we mean by that is not like that they need to be kind or like each other, but that that basically we believe that people are fundamentally motivated, are fundamentally trustworthy, and are fundamentally able to change. I am curious your take on like how the Digital HQ helps either operationalize or incentivize or design for that kind of people positivity. I love that because I 100% agree with it. One thing I say is like, everybody wants to do a good job at work. Everybody wants to make their boss happy. Everybody everybody wants the accolades. Um, There are a few things. So I mentioned earlier the, the concept of managing to outputs rather than kind of, you know, supervision. 
Mm-hmm. I think that that's one way, like it's very easy as an employee to say like, here's what I am doing and here's the result. And it's very easy as a manager to see like, this is what that person's doing and this is the result. Um, when you work that way, you get out of the rigor of like status updates and like work log tracking. Cause it's just like, I don't need to do extra work to tell you that I'm doing work. I'm just doing the work and you're seeing the work. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, I think from an interpersonal perspective, Slack does, Slack brings everybody down a little bit from like, you know, stiff and professional. Yeah. People do get a little more familiar, a little more personality comes out, um, social channels get spun up and people talk about whatever is interesting to them. And those, I think that we might underestimate the power of those weak ties so just be like, you know, you like that new song on the Taylor Swift album? So did I. Like mm-hmm. that right there is a weak tie, but it's a tie. Those people know one another's names. They probably clicked on each other's profiles to see what they work on. You know, they might talk about it again in the future, whatever. But the fact that Slack is a place where you can kind of be yourself and get your work done and figure out who the people are around you doing whatever it is you're doing at the time does help to build this network of, of ties for people within an organization, which is especially important now when everybody's working remotely and people are switching jobs. So they're not meeting their coworkers in person ever. Yeah. It's those ties that help to build trust. Like I trust that this is a person I can talk to. I trust that this is a person I can work with. I can see their work. Like they thanked me. I feel good about that. Um, Slack facilitates all of this very, very, easily. And it's not just, you know, messages, but it's also, hey, here's a slide deck I made, you know, comments on the slide deck, whatever it is, the talking about the work happens in a place where it can just be very human and very productive and very kind of accretive in terms of like good vibes. And I think that really, in general, creates a much more positive workplace. Yeah. I also think, I haven't thought about this till right now, but I also think that, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate about Slack versus more traditional tools like email is it does assume a pull versus push mentality. And so I, I think one of the things that is people positive about using tools that encourage working in public is the assumption that as a grown-ass human being who's quite good at my job, (laughs) I can go and find the information that I need. And like someone doesn't have to like serve it to me in an email and be like, here, dummy, you need to review this. That it's like, if I'm in the right channels and I'm paying attention, the the tenor of Slack isn't, you know, Rodney, to do your job properly, you must go look at this. It's more like, here's the stuff. You, it is your job to like make sense of it and pull what you need, which I do think is foundationally people positive. Oh yeah. Like how powerful do you feel when you're like, I need some information and I went and found it all by myself. Totally. (laughs) That's amazing when you're like, because nobody likes to go to their coworkers to be like, um, excuse me, do you know where I can find the latest version (laughs) Of of the budget spreadsheet? When you're just like, I went into the budget spreadsheet channel and I found the latest version of the budget spreadsheet. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. That really dovetails with with the next question we were hoping to ask, which is about what are the creaky and clunky practices and habits that digital HQs disincentivize? And it seems like if, maybe it doesn't disincentivize, but at least it encourages 
you not to go chase people to ask about stuff that's easily searchable, or they might send you a let me Google that for you video. Oof, um, are there other... Harsh. Are that's not other, very people positive. <laughs> it's, not, it's not. It's funny, though. Um, are there other practices that you think this way of working kind of says, cut that out? Um, it's a really good question. I just got distracted. You mentioned like sending the let me Google that for you video. Um, so much fun. So there's there are a couple of Easter eggs in Slack. And one of them, which I'm not spoiling because it's well documented on the internet. There's one YouTube video that we will not unfurl. And it's the um, Never Gonna Give You Up. Rick Astley, yes. yeah. yeah. So that you can Rickroll people. Anyway, uh, so we do, dis- we do incentivize Rickrolling. <laughs> we do Amazing. disincentivize uh, spoiling the Rickroll. I think like it becomes challenging to be the kind of person who hoards information for power in an organization that uses Slack. Yeah. yeah. Because everyone else is putting information out in the open. The conversation is happening in the open around the information. So if you're somebody who's like, I'm trying to hang on to this until I can have a meeting and blow everybody's minds. It's like, mm. yeah, man, that's not going to work. And I yeah. think um, that leads to kind of like a more equal power distribution, which I think is 100% healthy. And the other thing that it just, I wouldn't say it disincentivizes it as much as it just doesn't allow it. Everybody's voice is the same volume. Like we all have the same size text. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, everybody's messages get scrolled past as quickly or not as everyone else's. It's much harder for one person to come in and decide that they're owning the discussion. Uh, it, it disincentivizes the kind of work where... Um, I guess, you know, the kind of team where one person comes in and just shuts it down because it's much harder, like it's much harder to come in or, you know, I think one way to think about it is like commandeering the blackboard. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one of the most effective ways to just say like, I own this meeting now is to stand up and say like, I am drawing the answer on the blackboard and you're all watching me do it. Yeah. And you just, you can't do that really in Slack. Like you're, you're talking it out, you're putting information out in the open, you're debating the merits of it, you're collaborating on it. So it really just kind of flattens the power structure in a way that, you know, everything does have its, its shadow side, but I think by and large, this is, you know, positive for in nearly all situations. So I guess to wrap up building on that and looking even further into the future, I'm curious what you think is going to happen to the digital HQ. So without without giving away very expensive corporate strategy, what's the future of this concept, right? Is it do we now do everything in Slack? Is it does it swing back to specialization and they're all interconnected? Like is there any party line in the system right now about where digital HQs are going to take us next? Uh, it's a good question. So as a person who has not yet figured out how to see the future, this is just whatever. Um, <laughs> so the things that we're trying to do in Slack right now is to make them even more, to make Slack an even more flexible system for people to build more of their digital HQ needs into Slack. And so some of that is the, um, the new platform stuff that we just announced at Dreamforce. Another part of that is Canvas that we just announced the Dreamforce. We've already rolled out the huddles functionality. So we're trying to, the goal is not like make people spend three hours a day in Slack. Like that's <laughs> never the goal. Sure. It's just like to the extent that we can be a place that makes it really easy for companies to get their work done rather than to spend all of their time doing work, if that distinction makes sense. You know, again, back to my procurement tool, we save me 
10 minutes of time every time I have to do a PO with one button. So how do we dig in on those sorts of opportunities more? How do we make them easier for our customers to develop for themselves? Like not everybody has our procurement problem, but they have some other problem that's really similar. One of the you know most common complaints about Slack is like, Everything feels very ephemeral. It's hard to find things later. So like what we announced at Dreamforce is a feature called Canvas. So how can we bring more persistence to Slack? How can we make it a space where people uh, can curate what is important on an ongoing basis, where they can share what's important, where they're not just reading channels, but there's a space where it's like, yeah, the channel is like super, super long. And I pulled the important bits out for you right here. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the goal, which is, continuing to expand what exists in Slack with the sole purpose of making it a better place for people to get more kinds of work done. Love it. I love it. We can't wait. We can't wait to see it all. Um, that seems like a great place to draw things to a close. Not really. We have 50 more questions, but the truth is that we're at time and hopefully we'll Pause have eventually. Um, it's, it's, it has to come to a close. Allie, where can our listeners find out more about you, your work, digital HQs, Slack, whatever else you want to tell them about? Oh, man. Um, well, Slack, we're at slack.com. I think one of the most interesting resources we've put out recently is the Future Forum. It's our consortium with other companies doing research on the future of work. Super fascinating results. The research does not focus on Slack customers at all. We're just asking people in the world who do some work, like, you know, how's work going for you lately? Um, you'll find that at futureforum.com. I'm on Twitter at Allie Rail. I'm not very interesting. I tweet stupid stuff, so don't follow me. Yeah, I don't know. That's way to get Twitter followers, I bet. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I'll get the Twitter followers, I'll tweet something stupid, and then they'll go away. I mean, I thought your tweet about Lana Del Rey slapped pretty hard. Thank you. But seriously, she was not present on the novel. Completely album. underused. And that's yeah. the second time that's happened, so Jack Antonoff can stuff it. It's true. <laughs> Allie, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. So listen, y'all, as part of this Slack sponsorship and adventure that we're on together. We're going to do a little bit more of this stuff down the road. So if you have a burning question about digital HQs or about Slack and how to use it, how to get the most out of it, what have you, um, we want to hear them. So fire those over to us at podcast at the ready.com with the subject line Q about digital HQs. And we will answer it on a future AUA episode or even forward it to Allie and find out what she thinks. And as always, a quick tip of the hat to Taylor Marvin for making us sound good. Brave New Work is produced by The Ready, where we help organizations around the world change the way they work, sometimes to use Slack, sometimes to do other stuff. Get in touch with us by emailing podcast at theready.com. As for you, thank you so much for listening. Now go change something. Go make a PB&J. Mm, I'm hungry. 